0: Hello, and welcome to another live stream event. Um, Today, we're talking about saving lives at sea with Coast Guard New Zealand. Um, I'm delighted to welcome onto the stream um we have a direct live link to the operations center in auckland new zealand and we've got uh ray who's the operations center manager how ray and nico um who is technology analyst and support at coastguard new zealand so guys thanks for joining uh, on the live stream Pleasure. Oh, excellent so um well let's do a quick intro before we we look at the room you're in uh just to to explain for people where we're all at, um, New Zealand. So we're uh, we're currently at nighttime here in Europe. Uh, you guys, it's early morning Are you around here somewhere. Here we go, and you can see the guys are in the North Island, I think, right in Auckland. Um, and I think I've got this right on your uh your building. How's that? So. This is, tell me about the um, tell
1: me about the operation centre in Auckland. So uh, as you can see in the background there, that's the beautiful Auckland city. Um, the round building there is the Auckland Marine Rescue Centre Trust. So there's a number of organisations in this building. There's Coast Guard New Zealand. We've got Surf Lifesaving, who we work closely with. We have our local harbour master here for the city. And we've also got a police maritime unit uh, that, that operates out of the building as well. So there's only two dedicated police maritime units in New Zealand, one in Auckland and one in Wellington. Uh, rest of the country yeah. we work with police on a, on a smaller, lower scale. Um, so the operations centre that you can see in the background um, is operated 24 hours a day. Yeah. Uh, we have two to three paid staff working on, on shifts that time and on the weekends we've got about 55 to 60 volunteers that support us by giving up their precious time on the weekends and uh, the busy times. So obviously, on the on the weekends it gets busier, and during the week yeah. uh, also.
0: And that's because it's busiest at those those times. Is that that uh, you bring in the volunteers to supplement?
1: Yeah, that's correct. I mean, we've got a population in Auckland one point six out of a total of five million for the country, and uh, as you saw there, as you zoomed in on, on Google Maps, uh, it's not a it's not a big distance between uh, the east coast of Auckland and the west coast. The west coast is a bit of the wild west with the conditions that they experience and the and the harbors and things that they need to cross to get out to. So um, yeah, that does pose some challenges for yeah. boaties we respond to.
0: And and so. And we'll go back in a minute to sort of what makes up your control room, but the view uh, when you—it's well, right behind you. Um, we can see you can see the windows. I assume that's these circular windows here. You have a great view, and I think you, I mean you could even see it was the America's Cup is in Auckland Bay out those windows uh, last summer.
1: Yes, yeah, comes right they they come right past the the door the window here to go to the to the racecourse. So that was pretty cool to be able to see them and also to see them practicing. We've got a Good Opportunities to get some, yeah, the, into
0: this, the, which is- the best seat. So, so uh, it's winter there at the moment. So, um, anyone who's in the northern hemisphere, we're in summer. Um, I'm in obviously in Europe at the moment with a lot of viewers on from uh the United States and Canada as well. At the moment, we're all in summer. You guys are in winter and it's Tuesday morning, uh, so it's a quiet time, I'd imagine.
2: Yeah, very quiet. So, just looking at our log now, uh, so far today, we have logged uh, uh three reports. Um, so very, very, very quiet, um, and most of those would be commercial vessels. Um, I can see one here from uh, Taronga, um, and that's the um, school bus on the water. that goes ah. and uh, picks kids up and takes them to a, an island there. Across the water, um, so very, very quiet. Um, but you contrast that to a nice um, busy summer's day, and um, at mm-hmm. our peak we can sort of take up to, in you know, every 12 seconds, there'll be a radio call or a phone call uh, coming in for us to take. Yeah,
0: Brilliant. Okay, excellent. So this is going to be a fascinating live stream and I can see we have a lot of viewers in. Um, just every, you're welcome to ask questions. Um, we're, we're live at the moment. You can ask questions on YouTube in the comments, on um, Facebook if you're watching it there, on LinkedIn if you're watching it there, or on Twitter, Periscope, any of those platforms. Uh, just press reply or enter into the comments you see below this live stream. And they come up on screen here and I can I can ask the questions directly to the guys. So please do do participate. It's what makes it very interesting. So um, what channels or or methods of communication are you listening out on for an emergency? I'm I'm guessing Channel 16 is internationally um, where you are as well?
1: So we implemented a year or two back uh, technology called WAVE, which is a Motorola uh, platform. And Mm -hmm. that's the same as what the Maritime Operations Centre operates for Maritime New Zealand, so they they look after Channel Sixteen.
0: Previously, yep. we were only ah,
1: able okay, to yes. our Coast Guard channels, uh, and the local Channel Sixteen in Auckland, which was pretty much an aerial sticking up on the roof. But now that we have that technology, we can listen to Channel Sixteen throughout the whole country. Um, obviously, the Maritime New Zealand do their thing for Channel Sixteen <laughs> down in Wellington, and but we are able to listen to that now, which is um, an advantage to us because. If something starts happening on Channel Sixteen, we can start preparing a response mm. if we needed to. Whereas before, we were in the dark with it. Um, so that's the that's the screens on the bottom two screens. If you can see behind me, there is the Wave Technology. So that we've got our own VHF network right across the whole country. There are areas that we were still working on to put more in, but yeah, but it all comes in here at night and then locally throughout the country. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and so you can listen to any mast in the country, is that, or, or broadcast from? Yeah, excellent. <clears throat> so a digital network across that. And, and um, you, you hinted at there, all, all of the operations move to Auckland in, in the evening.
1: That's correct, for the whole country, yeah. Uh, there's the odd pocket, too, that still do some of their own ones, volunteers, but we yeah. do have the technology and the ability to be able to do that should they choose to, to hand it to us.
0: Okay, Excellent. We're getting a smiley emoji in here from uh, <laughs> Josie Drew. Hi, uh, thanks for watching, Josie. Um, so um, the, the you've got this regional setup of control rooms. It, it changes day and night um, to where to where people are. What at the moment? Um, what's happening behind you? Um, who's in the room? What roles do you have? What would they be doing?
1: So we have two two roles. So we have the duty officer, which is Carolyn sitting right here. So Carolyn's in charge of the room. So uh, hopefully she won't kick us out if something happens. But uh, So the duty officer manages the incident when they're happening, whether that's a breakdown, whether it's a serious incident, medicals, whatever it might be. So they oversee the whole operation. And today over here we have Andrea, who's one of our radio operators, um, both been with us for quite some time. Uh, both come through as volunteers from a volunteer um, Paul, to become paid staff members so bring a lot of experience um, awesome. if there's an incident and having the police maritime unit in the same building they would be the incident controller of the incident we we command our assets so we look after our, our assets so whether that's um, rescue watercraft
0: known
1: mm-hmm. as jet skis or two aircraft, we've got two aircraft Cessna 182s I think the, I've got a
0: photo, photo here I can bring this up tell me about the aircraft are, are these yeah. being flown by volunteers as well or are they full-time Correct. Staff? So
1: they out on the weekends doing patrols yeah. and that that's the auckland-based one so predominantly would get tasked to some sort of incident in the summer even if they're just doing patrol training flights so often they get and we've got one in northland as well another cessna 182 in northland um they do they don't as many jobs but equally as important for the role that they play so, so it, yeah, it,
0: it it's fairly unique. I, I know certainly certainly in North America they've Casara um, in terms of a, a volunteer aviation effort, but it, it's fairly unique to me in Europe anyway. W- is the Coast Guard overseeing the training and qualifications and va- va- validating the pilots and crew, or is it just an outside piece that a local a local group have brought as a speciality?
1: No, so all all our pilots have um, a commercial pilot's license mm-hmm. from CAA, so Civil Aviation Authority. Uh, so that we don't train pilots; they come to us as qualified pilots. What yeah. we do is, when they come to us, we give them the Coast Guard qualifications. So we teach them about search techniques and things like that. So we give them that we give them that training to, be able to operate the aircraft. So they have yeah. um, three roles in the aircraft. Obviously, the most important one is the pilot. And then, eager we have a.
0: Oh, I think um, we lost them. They'll be back here now. Apologies, guys. We we lost you there for a minute. Um, I think you're back. Yep. You can hear us, okay? Yep. Yeah, perfect. So, sorry, you, you cut off at the point, point you're saying that the, the trained pilots come to you and you're teaching them about search techniques and other how to interact with the Coast Guard and be be a Coast Guard uh, part of the response.
1: Yeah, and then we have two other roles in the aircraft, which is in-flight coordinator who kind of coordinates what they're doing and yeah. then uh, either one or two observers sitting in the back of the aircraft helping with the searching.
0: And That's And it. so they go out on proactive patrol. They're out in the air... And
2: uh, oh, anyway, or will they for an incident oh, as vehicle. well? Yeah. yeah. so they'll either be um in the air training or uh, on standby at the base. Um and they can deploy in eight or nine minutes uh if an incident okay. comes up that we need them for.
0: Brilliant. So so oh, we were talking oh, there at, at the that at registrar- that point. we were talking there at that point about um the control room and kind of the setup and I think this is a fairly current picture of of your screens and desk and actually we can see it at the window here uh cool. in this as well as uh, so you can can see that brilliant view what's going on on the different screens so, so the wave com system yeah
1: The bottom two screens is the wave technology, which is all our radio communications. And yeah. then on the left screen there is Track Plus, which um, all our assets have tracking on them, either through GSM or Satellite. Um, GSM is obviously a lot cheaper for us. And if yeah. they go out to GSM, they can bump into Satellite. We do pay a, a higher rate for the Satellite reports. Um, the, the middle screen should be uh, oh, clear so to you what
0: you've aircraft right. and, and vessels on the on the on that, that screen?
1: Yeah, and also the rescue helicopters that operate in New Zealand um, that aren't uh, Coast Guard Assets, the other organisations, they they have trac us as well. So if they're involved on an incident that we are, as, we can see them as well.
0: Yeah, I do. I spot D4H on the middle screen, and I didn't uh, I didn't actually expect to see that there because I thought it was an older photo. Um <laughs> But yeah, you've recently moved over or in the process of moving your, your operation center to 2D4H. Um, it's interesting to see it there in the middle screen.
1: Yeah,
2: and it's um it has revolutionized the way we uh, run incidents in the center. Um, prior to D4H, we used to use paper logs. Um, and it was just a nightmare with, um, as you can see, the center is kind of divided into two lanes, you could call them. Um, and you'd have operators on the left there uh taking radio calls and we could have operators on the right on the telephone or on other uh frequencies like uhf um and yeah. you're constantly just running bits of paper around so that middle screen is um you're revolutionary for sort of how we run our jobs um and that it's all on yeah, everybody has access to all the information they need um, and we can coordinate effectively
0: so from the the little bit of time i've spent with you um, my understanding is a, a a new call comes in or a distress message of some type or an inquiry of some type uh, and you instantly start a new incident in, in D4H and everybody's able to see what's going on as it's being entered on the on the call.
2: Absolutely. So I I was on duty on uh, the Saturday just gone and we had a, a phone call come in for a uh, distress job. Um, mm-hmm. The operator hit the add button. Uh, started filling in the details and everybody else in the room uh, could see that information coming in in real time. Um, And before the uh, operator had even hung up, um, we already had assets on the way and had briefed police and uh, had the incident well uh, well underway um, just because we had that visibility of what was going on.
0: Excellent. And then do you use the log as well? I can see a log open on the right-hand side.
2: Yes, absolutely. So the log uh, is a log per incident, um, and that's just where we record all the the comings and goings and which assets are tasked and who's responding.
0: Brilliant. It looks great. You've you've got a couple of other databases as well, and I see a screen on the right. What's what's involved in that?
2: Uh, So that little red screen is our trip reporting system. Um, So it's a product we've developed in-house, where if a vessel calls and wants to log a trip report, which is a, a voyage plan, Uh, where they tell us uh, where they are uh, where they're going and how many people on board and uh, also what time they expect to return Um, we'll stick that all into the system um, and it just gives all our operators access to that information Um, that's also integrated into our app so you can download the uh, new zealand coast guard app um, on androids or iphones um, and you can log your trip report uh, in the app as well
0: okay brilliant Uh, On the whole, there's a row of screens up higher then. Um, Are these different seat layouts and times? Is it it tide times? Or what are are we looking at?
2: Yes, there's a lot of information up there. Um, That screen on the very left-hand side is pretty much the state of the ops room. So we'll put the names of all the operators at each station and what channels they have been assigned. Uh, Because what typically will happen is, um, at the moment, it's very quiet. As I said before, I think we're up to five calls now. Um, but it's still very, very quiet. Um, On a busy weekend day, um, we'll divvy up the channel. So we might have one volunteer uh, watching, for example, the Manukau channel, and another one might be looking after the Bay of Islands. So we'll write down all their names and what they're watching. Um, We have a list of all our assets up there and their availability. So if there's any that are unavailable for maintenance reasons, for example, Uh, we have our uh, now casting. So it's a bunch of wind sites that coast guard has provisioned around the country and we can uh, see what the actual uh, the live conditions are so we see the um the average wind speeds the gusts and the direction yeah um and then that third screen is uh just track plus or we can uh, we quite often have a uh, a weather monitoring system up there as well
0: okay excellent so so when uh you, you do task assets out and and they go you've sent through a couple of photos here of of some of the assets that looks like um one of your larger ships is that right or vessels
1: the that's, that's uh line foundation which so is based here at Auckland. so the two largest ones is that one and another 15 meter mono which which resides here as well uh but they range in anything from the rescue watercraft which is a jet ski Um, Up up to the size, most common size is around the 9 to 10 metre is a a product size, but in all locations around New Zealand, they do differ. So we've got 63 units, uh, Coast Guard units around around the country and communities. Um, And we respond to about 3,500 calls for assistance per year, and we bring about 6,000 people home. Remember, that's done by 2,000 odd volunteers. So um, we don't have people sitting on the water and boats ready to go. They mm-hmm. need to be activated either out of bed, out of work, or out of home um, to go and do all this work that they do. So it's a, it's a great thing that they do.
0: Yeah, excellent. Uh, so, how, how does a, a rescue um, proceed? Do you pick the just the nearest asset? Do you put that call out to multiple uh bases or stations how, how would you go about responding to a call what's typically uh, really,
1: really depends on the location and um, if it happened in auckland in the hurricane gulf outside of our window today we probably have the benefit of activating a number of units mm-hmm. but if it if it happens on the west coast south island out, out of greymouth we've only got one asset uh there for for that job or in the in the far north at hoho up, up at the top of the north island We've only got one asset there available we've got neighboring units that we could activate but there would yeah. potentially be a delay so really does depend on on where it is and because of those serious ones that we work with police they may send other assets so they may choose to send a rescue helicopter or other assets as well and surf lifesaving we've got communities where we work both work together in the same town
0: gotcha uh I can see in this picture now. I know your specialities are the, are the is the operations centre, but um, maybe you can talk a little bit about the different vessels if you if you can in any way. I can see everybody's on on comms on this boat. They've all got headsets and mics on. Is that common across the same type of vessel? Um,
1: it, it, it's starting to grow in popularity. So that's a nine and a half metre vessel. That one. So that's that's um, you know the more traditional size. That one's a little bit unique. That's got a, a diesel jet, um, traditionally the twin-out. Uh, yeah. So that's, that one's a little bit different. Um, but, yeah, the, the comms that they have there, that's increasing in popularity uh, just so everybody knows what's going on rather than just the person that's operating the radio on the vessel. Maybe yeah. the only person that actually can hear or knows what's being communicated outside of the vessel.
0: Um, what kind of roles would be held now. What who we look at? So there's a coxswain or a helm. Is that is that the title you'd use?
1: Yeah, so they the they have a number of number of qualifications. So we have our own training framework which is uh, approved by Maritime New Zealand. So that allows us to issue what's called an in- industry specific certificate. So that's our own qualification, but it has been approved by um, Maritime New Zealand. So we have a master that, that's in charge and responsible for, for the vessel. And the safety of everybody on board and then we have other crews like operational crew and then more senior senior crews as well so they go through um you know it's a comprehensive program and assessments and then they become qualified to carry out those roles just because you haven't done helm qualification um doesn't necessarily mean you can't drive the boat but you will be put in there to train because you have to train to get to that qualification anyway so
0: And, and in terms of the, there's kind of medical care being provided in at the stern there w- what kind of training is it first aid or a higher level that you provide crews or h- how do they provide that care
1: it's just first aid so we are first aid responders um, some of our volunteers in their working life um, work for st John as paramedics so yep. they you know they're, they're good people to have on certain jobs but primarily first aid Um Get people safe and then and then return them to to a high level of medical treatment.
0: Yeah, very good. Is this the typical PPE that would be worn? At, um, sort of a life jacket without inherent buoyancy, and they're not in dry suits or anything like that. Is it? Is this what would normally be worn, or is it a summer and winter kit? That they'd uh,
1: the, yeah, that, those so so those troops there they're wearing overalls. So that again, that's growing in popularity uh in the south island they have other suits so that are starting to use dry suits because the, obviously it's colder down there um, mm. but those life jackets are the are the common ones that we have
0: okay excellent now it's it's fascinating to see um to see it in operation here i think um, pe- people are are interested so there's a couple of questions coming in um let's see here um so if you can see that on the screen as well how do you coordinate with RCCNZ. Is that the yeah. you might explain who that is for everybody?
1: Yep, yeah, so that's the Rescue Coordination Center in New Zealand. So so Category One incidents um, are controlled or coordinated by police and category two incidents are coordinated by the Rescue Coordination Center in New Zealand. So we have direct lines to both of those organizations. Um, if it's if it's here, we have an advantage that the police come upstairs. Uh, if it's anywhere else in the country, we have we have direct lines of contact with the What's police. So Category they are, 1
0: and Category 2, just to explain for people?
1: Yeah, so Category 1, is a, is that's how they categorise the incidents for New Zealand search and rescue effectively. So that's a police-controlled incident, and Category 2 would be a rescue coordination centre. The RCC ones are traditionally bigger incidents or more offshore, so anything outside our 12 nautical mile limit. Or a, or a beacon activation. So as with any other uh, coordination centre around the world, they, they deal with uh, beacon activations, whether it's a low-person or an e on a boat.
0: So RCCNZ is Maritime New Zealand? Is that is that the organisation? That's correct. Yeah. Yep. Okay, excellent. Interesting. I think, um, yes, yeah, Simon, uh, if I have the right person, I recognise the name, and I think it is Lifeboat Crew in the UK at... I guess, but I uh, feel free to clap, crack me, Simon. I think I think you're on an independent lifeboat somewhere in the UK. Um, Ed Davey, how would you activate your remote asset? Is it pagers, mobile alerting, text messages? What What are you doing? Or are they all different? It
1: is a little bit different. Primarily, it's pages, although we are likely to lose that paging ability in in the next few years. Um, we use Active Nine One One as a, as an app so um, to, to phones but through here with uh, a lot of units they actually get both so we can send out of out of our iPage, we can send activate to a unit that will activate their pager and active 911 uh, other other units it's a phone tree um, that we have to phone Yeah. the location so it does it does vary quite a bit
0: so so active 911 will send a critical uh, notification on the mobile device to the user is that right
1: yep that's correct yep yep
0: okay excellent uh- about
1: the um the response
2: as well so an active 911 um it's a push notification to say something's going on um it'll list all the crew and the crew can um, vote on uh, what their response capability is so whether they're responding to the base with an eta of 20 minutes if they're available on call or if they're unavailable um and you also get to see a map of uh, where all the volunteers are so you can um, estimate quite accurately how long it's going to take to get this along the water
0: and can you see that in the control in the operations center we can um, do uh, excellent okay um I, I was i was close here simon is also ex-HM coast guard operations room and marine life rescue okay brilliant so um, that's interesting. The paging, um, for sure. Um, let's take a look through some of these photos. So, it, yeah, it's interesting to see the the equipment and all the different vessels. How often would they train, or is there a requirement um, to be on the water?
1: It, it really depends on the um, on the level of activity. So, um, a lot of the Auckland-based units do a lot more training but they actually do a lot of training by default because they're out there doing a higher number of incidents mm-hmm. um, but a lot of units meet on a regular basis it could be once uh, one night a week once a fortnight or once a month so they get together in their communities at their base and they do training they do on-water training um, but yeah they do have to keep their their skill set up so it, it, there's no there's nothing compulsory per se for the amount of time that they have to keep doing their training once qualified, but you know the, the expectation is that they do keep their skills up.
0: So remind me how many stations there were?
1: 63.
0: 63, and all have vessels or multiple vessels.
1: So, uh, so two of those uh, operations centers, so like this one here and one down at yeah. on Mount Maunganu, and the other two are the air assets. So that's the two air patrols, and then the remaining are the other wet assets.
0: Okay, very good uh it, it, it's um it's great seeing it and seeing the pictures to illustrate it um it's really interesting okay there's a couple more questions coming in here let's see we'll we'll bring um bring us up bigger and let's see here what we have so have your types of incidents changed during the pandemic well what pandemic in new zealand <laughs>
1: <laughs> um nothing to see here uh yeah. it kind of it- it did in our lockdowns. Um, so that that fifteen metre catamaran that you saw earlier on, when you got of,
0: when you got one case, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: so Waiheke Island is a, is quite a populated island. It's about ten miles from from the base here, give or take. Um, mm-hmm. So there were a number of medivacs that were needed to be carried out, and that was a. Um, it was an interesting time for the crew because they had to kit up on their PPE and their masks and. You know um disposable coveralls and gloves and all that sort of stuff um saint john paramedics would go out with the crew bring the bring the person back uh, and then they'd go off to hospital the vessel had to be cleaned down ready for the next deployment so um boaties weren't allowed to go on the water in in lockdown um levels that changed and then and then it opened up so um to those
0: um i'll try my local knowledge that's it's like a bit of a touristy island with a hotel and some uh, like venues and stuff on there. Is that is that right, or have I?
1: That well, island... I might get in trouble for saying it. Probably 30, 40 years ago, it was the hippies, but now there's some uh, quite wealthy people that that reside there. Okay. It's a, yeah, it's a, nice island. Yeah, it's a relevant. Yeah, it's a beautiful island, um, mm-hmm. and it's quite big. Like uh, I don't know what the population is four, five thousand people are probably um, on the island. So it's a decent sized island. Very good. A lot of people live there and commute to Auckland by ferry to work, so.
0: So, well, we have um,
1: typically we see
2: um, our incidents, uh, roughly 10% would be um, search and rescue, so sort of one in every 10 calls would be an emergency call of some kind. Um, During the pandemic, when we were in lockdown, um, that jumped to about 60% um, being emergency calls and the rest being tow jobs and routine things.
0: Excellent. So so I think John is actually with the, the Channel Islands um, Air Search and Rescue, um, which were on a, a previous live stream with us. And so um, a similar operation of flying, volunteers flying uh, the aircraft like that. Too. They're supporting HM Coast Guard, I believe. Um, and the, Jer- I should say, the, the Channel Islands and Jersey Coast Guard and uh, what they're doing. But uh, yeah, it's interesting that overlap, um, the, the planes for both. Mm. Um, so, uh, to me, it's quite unique that you have volunteers in the operations centre. Um, are they already members of units that they they come in and and help?
1: Some are. I mean, we we do actively recruit uh, all the time because we uh, volunteer turnover is a thing for us. Um, the life cycle or the time that they give has changed. It's shorter now than it used to be. So the you know the um, I have been to events where we've given out um, awards for volunteers that have done 50 years with the organisation. I think there was one just recently for 60, um, which is a long time to be volunteering, but that landscape has changed for us volunteers. Um, People move around the country for work or for family or um, house affordability, whatever it might be,
2: Mm -hmm. and
1: so, so it does change quite a bit. But it's another avenue of
2: volunteering as well for people that might not want to go on boats. So we've got a lot of people that are interested in working the radio. Um, they might not have any maritime experience at all. So when I started as a volunteer, I think the only on-water experience I had was a jet boat ride to uh, Waiheke. Um, but started as a volunteer and um, through our training programs, you learn all the, the maritime stuff you need to know uh, to be a good radio operator.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so what, what's that training look like? I mean, OK, if I started in, in volunteering at the operations centre, I mean, what do I go? Is there a structure to that? Is there levels of responsibility? What, what would I do if I came in as a new volunteer to the operations centre?
2: So the, um, the bulk of what a volunteer does is trip reports. Um, on an average shift in summer, you might log two 300 calls from vessels um, telling you where they're going. Um, So that's where the training pretty much starts. So you'll come in for a a one-day classroom session where we go over all the theory and show you how the system works. Um, And then for six weeks, we'll get you to come in uh, one night a week. Um, And that's practical sort of role play uh, using the systems that we use um, Mm -hmm. and to get you to the point where you can log a a routine trip report where there's there's nothing too fancy or tricky going on. Um, Then uh, we pretty much throw you in the deep end and you start taking live calls um, but for a three-month period, um, you have a buddy or a mentor, uh, so you'll be on a on a channel uh, taking live calls from vessels. But you'll have a qualified operator next to you, uh, monitoring your screen and just making sure everything's going okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then after that, you're um, you're a fully qualified radio operator. So that's about four months um, into into your Coast Guard career. Um, and you, yeah, work uh, Coast Guard
0: career as a volunteer. Just so. as a volunteer, people yep. are joining us between in the middle here. These are. People volunteering their time to work in the operations center um, so sorry for back to that four months in um and they're they're working they're taking distress calls there and what what are they doing the the it's a what's the emergency phone number? I assume you get a lot of small boats ringing phoning in.
2: So we have a, um, a Star 500 in New Zealand is a number you can call to get straight through to Coast Guard from your mobile phone um, and then the general emergency number one one one. Um, that goes to police, and then the police mm-hmm. will pass the information to us. Um, but that volunteer who, who's finished the four months of training, um, they would come in for their shift. Um, they do about once a month. They'll come in and do a, a six-hour shift. Um, they'll be assigned a particular channel, um, yeah. or potentially multiple channels. If it's a um, the beauty of the operations centre is we can multitask. So rather than having um, twenty-one radio operators sitting at bases taking you know five calls a day. Um, we can have one operator looking after four of those channels. Um, and once you've been assigned those channels, it's it's pretty much your job to um, deal with whatever comes in. So that might be the trip reports, your radio checks, um, and then, you know, suddenly a Mayday call that you, you need to answer and coordinate.
0: Okay, brilliant. Um, more questions here. I'll, I'll throw it up. This has come from um, Michael Williams, who's watching on YouTube. Um the ratio of paid staff to volunteer staff. So I think, I think let's talk about the controls, uh, the operation center first. I keep calling it the control center. Uh, the operations center. Um, what What's a normal, a busy day? How many volunteers versus full time paid staff? So we
1: would have on a on a weekend probably two to three paid staff, and we would have in the busy peak of the day, which is around the middle, could be six or seven uh, volunteers helping. And the operation center wow so, so
0: that's a that's a busy room yeah yeah okay yeah
2: all that, that ratio um, there's 11 rostered staff so they're the ones that fill the shifts and do the 24 7 watch um and then they are supplemented by i think we're up to 70 volunteers who come in and fill those extra seats um usually weekends public holidays or so if there's any special events or um, you get some odd weekdays so that it's, it's really, really good weather and people decide to call a sickie um, and we we're, we're page for backup and, and get volunteers in as well.
0: Okay, wow. Outside of the operation centre, what what's what does the full-time staff structure look like versus volunteer?
1: I knew the exact number. I was just trying to think about that when that question popped up. I would say it's around about 60, so compared to – well, that would be maximum 60. So compared to 2,000 volunteers, we only have 60 staff to do all the other functions. So as a charity, we um, fundraising is important, uh, marketing is important, well it's all important, uh, operational, IT, and education. So we do a lot of public education to mm-hmm. try and reduce the numbers of incidents that we respond to. So that's a big part of what we do as well. So so there's lots of stuff going on uh, outside of the cold face of doing operational stuff.
0: What about on the operational side, in terms of training, um, overseeing sort of those uh, training structures and and qualifications and frameworks? What, um, how many people work on that side?
2: How many? Um, so we've got a national training team at the moment of two, um, and they're supplemented by a, a bunch of um, paid uh, instructors. So these Mm -hmm. are usually um, very experienced volunteers who get an adult education uh, qualification, um, and then we bring them on as instructors and they're the ones that actually go out and uh, teach all the content.
0: Ideal, okay, perfect. That's great, thank you for the question, um, Michael. Here's another one in, we're we're getting busy now. Um, Do the trip reports generate a response if the vessel does not report as completed or is overdue?
1: generally no so a trip report what a trip report does is that it's it's uh it's a voyage it's an intent so you're going you're leaving here you're going there and you expect to be back there at a certain time so what that does is it gives a breadcrumb trail of, of your expected voyage for for generally to say if you are reported overdue and you have logged a trip report bearing in mind it's not uh compulsory to do that um that would be where the police or if rcc were involved and us that's where we would start searching or start putting resources we do have a different system for what i talked about the west coast Mm -hmm. or any bar crossing so a river bar or a harbor bar so they they they're quite dangerous so we can so we put a bar watch on through the ops platform or the trip reporting system uh i use the manukau bars an example on the west coast out of auckland so they would leave the Manukau Harbour, relatively safe, go over a bar that can be dangerous. They would log a bar, a bar watch with us, and then after 30 minutes, if they hadn't called, that automatically sets an alarm off in the, in the trip reporting system. That doesn't necessarily generate tasking volunteers in an asset, but it does start our search and rescue procedures. So we might mm. do an all station broadcast on the VHF, we we go into our into our database to see if we've got a phone number and we can start doing some things. Um, and other vessels may and have done responded to the VHF calls that we make because they are the vessels in the area. And and sometimes it results in the aircraft going or this ves- or rescue vessels going. So we do we don't do nothing, but there's a step process before we mm. activate. With
2: the um, Coast Guard
1: efforts, there's another layer mm. there,
2: in that. Um, the app will track you throughout your journey. So every couple of minutes, we'll get a a ping from your phone and that's entered into the database. And for every trip that you log in the app, you nominate an emergency contact. Um, As soon as you go overdue, we'll send you a push notification to say, hey, you're overdue, what's going on? Um, If we still can't get hold of you after 90 minutes, um, a text message is sent to your emergency contact. Um, And that basically just starts the process uh, from the... um, the family point of view or the friends point of view and they can um call people that they knew were on the vessel and yeah, make sure that everything's okay um and then ultimately if there's any cause for concern that emergency contact will uh, contact us and then we start search and rescue action from that point
0: makes sense um okay simon has another question here do the ops room generate search patterns plans drift calculations and coordinate the assets, or do the local boat stations manage that once a job is allocated to them? Interested. Your description of a radio oper- operator seems to not cover SAR planning.
1: Yeah, so it's it's a bit different. Again, it's a bit different. Depends on where you end up in in the country. So if it was here, um, we the the operations centre doesn't necessarily generate the search pattern. We will give the assets an area to go and search. We might recommend the type of search that we want them to carry up because of the type of incidents would be different for a person that's fallen off a, a ferry or a boat to, to anything else. So, so we don't necessarily give them uh, the actual plan. Um, but And we work with the Rescue Coordination Centre and here the Police Maritime Unit to get the, the SAD, which is a search area determination. So they calculate that for us. So and mm. within minutes, they can have that to us Depending on if it's a person in the water, a vessel, or whatever, and by location. So, um, but in a smaller community, it may just be the local Coast Guard volunteers that are doing that, working with police, and we can support them from here in any shape or form that they need. That track class software on
2: um, one of Carolyn's screens earlier uh, also helps with that, um, and that you can plot. uh, you can put markers down for last nine positions and you can plan searches and track assets and all that sort of fun.
0: Excellent. Well, it it's been a fascinating insight into what you do. Um we've had great viewership and loads of questions throughout this. It's been brilliant. Um it it's it's quite unique that you're doing this live from the from the operation center and it's it's great um seeing it all going on in the background there for real um so thank you um is there anything else you guys would like to add have i missed anything you'd like to communicate or um uh very glad to uh to hear more
1: when the doors oh. open up, come and visit yep absolutely
0: <laughs> be there for sure um so listen thank you so much again i think everybody's appreciated that we've had as I said, great viewership throughout. So um, what we'll do is we'll call it at that. Um, If you'd like to listen back to this, you can hear it on our podcast, which is on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. The video, this video is on YouTube, Facebook, LinkedIn, wherever you want to to search for it and find it, you'll get it there. Um, And do subscribe, uh, press follow on our YouTube channel so you get notified of the next uh, event we have coming up. I believe we've actually another New Zealand uh, uh, episode on Thursday. It'd be Friday morning, New Zealand, uh, Thursday evening here, uh, Thursday afternoon, North America. Um, we've got another, um, we're talking about, you, you've just had one in a hundred year floods. Would that be uh, oh. be right? Uh, possibly, I think South Island, we're going to have a chat too. Um, so there's, there's loads of thanks coming in here. Um, and... Uh, I think uh, everyone's really enjoyed that. So uh, see everyone else on Thursday. Ray, Nico, thank you again. Um, it was great chatting with you.
1: Robin, thanks no. to D4H for the work that you do with us and uh, the ease of adaptability whenever we have majority of the requests met. So um, it's been great working with D4H and we all continue great. to.
0: <laughs> thank you very much. Talk to you soon. Thank you.
1: All